0: Welcome to the Alabaster Jar, a weekly conversation where we take on current issues impacting women at the intersection of faith, theology, and ministry. We are pleased to offer Alabaster Jar as a podcast of Northern Seminary. On today's episode, Dr. Lynn Kohick is joined by Carolyn Moore. Carolyn is a pastor, church planter, speaker, writer, and contender for the faith. She has spent her ministry creating conversations and communities that welcome and advance the kingdom of God. She is the author of several Bible studies and books, including her newest book, When Women Lead, Embrace Your Authority, Move Beyond Barriers, and Find Joy in Leading Others from Zondervan, which will be released in September of 2022. Carolyn and her son-in-law co-host a podcast called The Art of Holiness, bringing conversations about supernatural ministry, practical holiness, and intergenerational encouragement into the church.
1: Hi Carolyn, it's so nice to meet you. Such a privilege to be on this with you.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Oh well, you bet. I um, I was given a, a tip to uh, explore your new book, When Women Lead. Scott McKnight, my colleague here, said, "Oh, you got to read this." And boy, was he right. Your new book, When Women Lead, is so it's a page turner. Oh, I learned so much. And there you just dive into looking at what are the barriers that women leaders face? And then you offer strategies, right, to help equip uh, women to kind of lead past those barriers. And al- along with all that great information, there's also a lot of your own experience in the in the book. Can you, can you tell us how you, you got into church ministry, kind of your own journey before we take a look at your book? Absolutely. And it's a great, it's a great gift to be able to share that
2: story. I I was called into ministry when I was 13 years old, and it was a bit of a, of a, um, of a mystic call. I I was standing in a pulpit when I was a teenager, and I heard the Lord say, this is where you belong. It's a very mystic thing for me. Um, But that was, let's see, 45 years ago. And 45 years ago in Augusta, Georgia, female leadership in the church just was, it wasn't a thing. It wasn't imagined. And to bring it up would have, was, was almost, I wouldn't say heresy, but it was not comfortable for anyone But I didn't know enough to know that. So when I first brought it to the attention of my parents or my youth pastor, you you know, I, I didn't even, I didn't even know enough to know they were backpedaling Um, but by the time I got to my senior year in high school, my pastor was really encouraging me to be in children's ministry, which would have been fine, except that I'm a disaster in a room full of women, uh, uh, sorry, a room full of children. (laughs) And, um, and, and so I, uh, so I, I decided to, um, go into children's ministry. I went to, to one semester at a small college was, it was Horrible. What I didn't realize was that when I fell away from my call, my I, I didn't realize for myself how intricately connected my call was to my faith. Oh, that's so good. And yes, say a little more on that. It, it, well, well, I don't know if it's this way for every single person, but I know for me, when I when I watered down my call and said, "Okay, well, I'll do children's ministry instead of you know, instead of pursuing this call into whatever this pastor thing is, whatever this this is where you belong thing is." God called me to when when I stepped away from that or watered it down, my faith just kind of dissipated the the roots weren't deep enough to see me through it weren't it just it was all intricately connected. and so um i I ended up just falling apart completely and for about ten years i was I wouldn't have called myself a follower of Jesus. I wouldn't have and I certainly wasn't living that kind of life in any way i Uh, I, I assumed by the time I got to the end of those 10 years that, um, you know, that, that if there even was a call on my life, I had ruined myself for it. And I figured you can, you know, you can disqualify yourself for the call. So, um, turns out you can't, uh, somehow through a study. Yep reading the story of david and you know the story of paul holding when he was saul holding coats and you know all those stories in the bible that say you can't ruin your you know, like yeah, your story yeah. is kindergarten compared to some of these stories in the bible you know so um so i began to wander back toward the call i um i had a, saw my the first time i ever saw a female pastor i was just mesmerized by her and i Kind of the words tumbled out of my mouth that I thought I was called at one time, but I think I was wrong about that. And she just looked me straight in the eye and said, um, Well, once you've been called by God, that call is not revoked. He doesn't give up on you. And I couldn't shake that. I couldn't shake it. It really messed with me. And so um, one day I kind of just gave in to God. I gave in to Him and my husband, who has been s- completely supportive from moment one, said, when do we go? And I didn't think we were going to go there. I didn't think I was going to have to go back to school to do this, but here we are. So so in the, it was in seminary that I first began to hear the call within the call. I really began to experience a deeper call into the church and to understanding what church is and understanding sort of getting a heart for for church itself, for the body of Christ, for what it means to be the body of Christ. And I began to explore that. And in the midst of that exploration, I I started to feel a call to plant
1: a church. Yes. Well, and and there are so few women that do church planting. Mm -hmm. Um, But you're one of them. Uh, Why do so few women go into this?
2: Well, I think so few people go into it. Although, although when I back when I was I was in seminary 25 years ago, and 25 years ago, church planning was really just beginning to become a thing. You know, N- now it's much more of a thing than it was then. But um, but then and now, I, I think people people don't go into it because it's hard, and people do go into it realizing not realizing how hard it is. So uh, churches new churches fail at an alarmingly high rate and new churches uh, started by women fail at an even higher rate. And so, uh, you know, the whole purpose of my book was, well, let me just back up and say that the, the idea of writing this book, really writing about women who plant churches at all came out of my own experience, just feeling like, um, You know, why is this so much harder for me than it is for my male colleagues? I had a lot of great male colleagues, men who were very supportive of me and who were willing to share anything that they they had with me. And so I have a great experience personally of being in ministry together with men. And but for some reason, every tip, every idea, every, you know, every model I looked at, it didn't work for me the way it worked for my male colleagues. And I bless them, great men, really gifted. But when I would look at them, I would think they're not that much more gifted than I am. you know I mean, I'm not the brightest bulb in the leader box, but I'm not the dimmest bulb in the leader box either. And these guys are also kind of in my sphere, in my universe, and so why is it so much harder for me than it is for them? And I would come around and say, you know, it's got to be, it's got to be at least in part my gender. At least somehow my gender has to be playing a role in this uh, challenge that I find myself in. And and people over and over again, when I would say that, people would say, ah, oh, it's not you. It's not you. You're great. You're awesome. And that is actually crazy making. Because right, if, right. if my gender isn't an issue,
1: then it must be me. And Personally nobody's me, right? Yep, yep. You talk about two things that uh, I found especially interesting in, in this context. You talk about optimism bias, mm-hmm. and then you talk about what you call the Heidi study. I want to get to that in a second. But yeah. talk a little bit about this optimism bias Um, what, what do we need to be aware of? I just found that so fascinating.
2: Yeah. So there's a whole, there's a Ted talk on it. There's a whole book on optimism bias. I'm not making this stuff up. Um, it's that thing in us, especially I would say among women, it's that thing that has gotten so used to selling ourselves that we now believe a narrative that isn't true. That, that thing that we've gotten so used to, it helps us survive but it doesn't help us thrive, and so I was I was fascinated when I was doing I, I the whole uh, study for me began with a doctoral dissertation. I you know I just kind of dove into how do women plant and how can women lead past the barriers so they can plant successfully, and and I did these surveys with women uh, planters. I. I found 200 women planters. I surveyed the 200 women planters and then I kind of narrowed it down to a few dozen that I had personal conversations with. But in the surveys, when they came back, I was so surprised to find that everybody's life was perfect. Their children were great. Their marriages were awesome. Their churches were doing great. And and nobody had a problem with their leadership, their their district superintendent or supervisor. Everything was going awesome. And (laughs) their health was good. And they were making supper every night. And it's like, what could what well, either i missed it completely i haven't answered the i haven't framed the questions correctly or somebody's not quite in touch with reality so what is the problem here so when i got on the phone with these women i would i would start to you know in 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 the context of a conversation i would unpack their um uh what was you know i would unpack their story and before the phone call was over i was hearing horror stories that were far worse than anything I had gone through myself. And I would ask him, so why didn't this show up in the survey? And it was one person particularly, several actually, you know, kind of wondered, I don't know why I don't tell that stuff. I don't know why. But um, but, but it was one person particularly who said to me, I guess I am so used to um, to selling myself that I have forgotten my real story. And that's when I started digging into optimism bias, and and the reason it's important for us to understand is that um, when we're not being honest with ourselves or with the people around us about what our reality is, we're not helping ourselves or or anybody around us. You know, we're not we're not helping, and so we we need to get past the 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 sales pitch to our current reality, so we can so we can fortify ourselves with the right strategies for moving beyond our current barriers.
1: Right, right. That's so good. And uh, alongside that, you talk about the Heidi study, which looks at perceptions Mm -hmm. of leadership in business. Um, So what did that study tell us, and how does that matter for women in the church?
2: Really fascinating story. Heidi Roizen was a... um, worked in Silicon Valley as a um, you know, prospecting businesses. And uh, she, she, um, and women in, in Silicon Valley who work in her field, there's very few of them and very few succeed. But, but Heidi succeeded by uh, really kind of a lot of stick as we say in the South, but also um, a lot of networking. She really had learned how to network as a, as a, as a business tool. So somebody at the Harvard Business uh, Harvard School of Business took her story and they studied it and someone else saw the study and thought what would happen if I substituted the name Howard for Heidi and then gave it to our our to a business class and asked them to talk about how they feel about this Person's business style, their leadership style. So they did it. They took the exact same study that somebody else had done of Heidi Roizen's work, and they substituted the name Howard. They gave half the class the the study with the name Heidi, and the other half of the class the study of the of uh, the same study with the name Howard. The only thing that changed was the name, and the difference in how that class. Um, responded to that, to the leadership style of that person was dramatic. Everybody said Heidi was uh, way too assertive. She was overpowering and they didn't like her. And they critis- they critiqued her leadership style in many other ways. They just didn't like her. Howard, they thought he was brilliant and he was powerful and he was, and he was, uh, he was innovative and creative and that studies become sort of seminal, uh, uh, you know, in telling the difference and how those un, the perceptions we have that we don't even realize we are carrying. And so what we're dealing with, and this is my theory, what I kind of offer in the book is we're not dealing with um, an American thing or even a church thing. We're dealing with a human thing. It happens whether you're secular or sacred, whether you're American or or Indian. We're dealing with a human thing. Genesis 1 and 2 made us partners. Genesis 3 made a hierarchy. And we've been recovering or trying to recover from that broken thing inside of us ever since. So people don't know even, most people don't even realize the biases they carry and the ways we um, we flip the script so that it's a hierarchy in every situation we're in. It's why women apologize their way into rooms, and why and why men um, mansplain, and you know all the things that we do that we have stereotypes. It's why we do what we do. And I'm, I don't want to stereotype, but it, it, in in some ways, we just are who we are. But understanding it, just understanding it, we, we may not be able to fix it, but understanding it allows us. To develop strategies to move forward.
1: Yeah, and that, yeah. that was one of the great things about the book. I felt was you just kept bringing us back to be yourself, yes. be real. Um, is there a moment um, that that you want to share maybe with us where uh, you had one of those let's be real moments? Well, there
2: it really was. There was a moment in my um, in my study when uh, it's about midnight and I came across this, this study in the, and I don't know if it was a psychology world or the business world, but I came across this study that said that, that you actually, this wasn't a men or women thing. It was just, you actually feel crazy when people do not affirm what you know you are experiencing you actually feel crazy and when i when i saw that it was like i had church in that moment i was like yes that's what i've been feeling all this time because i have not had anybody say to me yep it's going to be a harder road for you and you just need to live with that it's going to be harder for you because of of your femaleness And if you can just acknowledge that fact, not acting, not as a victim, not as an, not, not become angry about it, just acknowledge it, you will be better to yourself. You will be better to the people you serve. And you will, you will then take responsibility. All right. Well, I still have a call. God still knows I'm here. That call is not revoked. And so I will need to figure out how to do the work I've been given to do, given who I am. And that, friends, and it doesn't matter whether you're male or female, able-bodied or living in some ways with a special need, every one of us has something we need to come to terms with. We need to come to terms with it and say, "All right, well, you know it, in this fallen world, it just this is." And when I learn to take responsibility for that inside my call, I do myself and everybody around me such a favor. I believe that's what Paul means when he says Ephesians 4, grow up in every way into him who is your head. And when he says in Ephesians 6, after you've done everything you can do, stand. That's the standing, right? That's the, you know what? I'm a grown woman. I will take responsibility for my place in the world. I can't fix everything, but I will figure out how to live out this call God's given me just like he's given it to me.
1: Oh that's awesome. That is so awesome. You know, and then you start getting practical in in the later chapters of your book kind of to help people, to help women say, "Okay, given this reality, how do I do X? How do I do Y?" One of the things I came away with after reading your book was a renewed sense of how important finances are mm-hmm. for a church and for women to be knowledgeable about the Need for resources. I mean, broadly speaking, resources, but financial as well. In fact, that's financial knowledge is one of those of four areas where you where you say women would really benefit from training. So, what what do we what do we need to know about this? The importance of finance for a church as we lead as women.
2: So, I appreciate very much how you've kind of how you talk about my book, because that is very much the purpose. The book is not meant to be an apologetic on whether or not women should lead in the church. The book is meant to be a handbook for women who do lead and also for the men who lead around them and for the vision teams and the administrative councils and leadership councils and for women who lead a nonprofit, um, for for women who lead a ministry area. um, it's, It's not meant to tell you out of, go, out of way, girl, you sh- you should be right where you are. But nope, this is the call God's put on your life. Now, how are you going to live it out so you don't burn out in the process and so you don't burn out other people? Um, and so it's meant to be more of a handbook. And that second half of the book is really important to me. I, I, I spend the first half talking about the barriers and the second half talking about how to overcome the barriers. And And let's just take finances, for example. I think this is an area where we men and women naively think, well, you know, if, if God has called you to it, God's going to see you through it. You know, <laughs> he doesn't He doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called and all those other things we slap on T-shirts and, and bumper stickers that um, aren't quite that simple, right? So finance, this is one of those areas. We actually uh, can, we do ourselves a huge favor when we understand the dynamics around church finances and around the current reality of the world, financially speaking. And the fact is women uh, pastors, it's it's really interesting. It's sort of a double bind. Conservative women pastors will attract fewer people. Progressive women pastors will attract fewer dollars. Progressives tend to give less to the church, more to other secular concerns. And so either way, it's hard and either way, the, the, the world, the rules are changing rapidly in the world of church development. It's, so if we're going to make it, we can't rely only on our own church members, especially if we, are, if we are appealing to folks who are just coming to Christ and don't know much about tithing yet, which is a group that women planters particularly, now my book's not just for planters, but but, but women particularly tend to attract people who are not so steeped. In churches and in church culture, so um, so we need to learn how to reach beyond our our immediate circle to find the resources that keep our movement, uh, our church, our nonprofit, whatever it is, moving forward. And I will tell you, my my church plan is here eighteen years later only because um, I learned how to do this early on, how to reach. Uh, how to reach beyond my immediate circle and find folks who maybe they don't want to go to my church, but they believe in the, in the, you know, they believe in the mission and they're willing to give to it. Our church also um, we started a separate nonprofit uh, and that nonprofit is now able to go after um, grant dollars with, with grant making organizations whose bylaws don't allow them to give to a church but their bylaws do allow them to give to a nonprofit, and so we're not we're not pulling the wool over anybody's eyes. We're just saying, you know, listen, this is a way we can work in partnership with you, grant maker, if you're willing to accept the structure that we have, and we found lots and lots and lots of success with doing it that way. And so, yeah, that's just one example of how some creative thinking can take you beyond. The barriers you may be facing and into other worlds and into partnerships you might not have found otherwise.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, and thinking about leadership um, and in the financial area, especially, I mean, that tends to uh, kind of conjure up ideas of decision making and uh, authority. Um, You want someone, if someone wants to feel good that when I'm giving money to this group, they're going to handle it. Well, they've got, in a sense, they've got a gravitas, they've got an authority. Um, and you, you talk a lot about what leading really should be is leading about decisions and authority, or is it about mentoring and innovation? Um, and you, you land on this idea of transactional, uh, leadership. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit more, you know, just about these models of leadership, and then where you think really the sweet spot is in all of this. Mm -hmm.
2: Well, if you're asking, is it leading, and is it decisions and authority or mentoring and innovation? The answer is yes. (laughs) It's all of those things. But fundamentally, I would say that successful leadership is about identity and authority. It's knowing who you are. and I would say that knowing who I am in Christ is where is where it all begins, because it's only when I know who I am in Christ that I can really hear his, his call on my life and accept it for what it is. Um, so knowing who you are, knowing what you're called to, and then taking authority over that call and walking it out. And I think this is where that is the place where many women stop short. Um, I, I had a, a male uh, denominational leader say to me that he noticed that too many women apologize their way into a room. We don't take authority over our place. But I would say to you, a uh, woman in leadership listening to this podcast, if you've been called to sit at a table, then you've, if you've been invited to that table, then sit there as a person with authority. They'll let you know when they don't want you to be there anymore. <laughs> they have really good ways of doing that. <laughs> but until they tell you that they don't want you there anymore, assume that you've been placed there and take your authority. Is what Paul said. After you've done everything you can do, stand. I think authority is a big deal. And authority authority does not mean not humble Authority doesn't mean go it alone. The buck stops here. Actually, I think women, um, and again, I'm stereotyping a little bit, but sometimes some stereotypes are there for a reason. Um, and we, we tend to be, women tend to be more nurturing. We tend to lead more collaboratively. That tends to be a style that we're good at. Those are great things that female leadership can bring to the table, collaborative leadership. Uh not, not, not moving so quickly that we leave people behind great things to bring to the leadership table. Humility is a great thing, really a great thing to bring to the leadership table that doesn't undermine your authority, knowing who you are in Christ, knowing what you're called to do, being able to stay in that place, even when the decisions are hard to make.
1: And, you know, Carolyn, I, I may have misspoken here. I talk, I I, Talked about transactional leadership and transformational, right? Mm-hmm. It's it, You distinguish between the two. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I think actually, because I said transactional is is most helpful, but that but that my notes are wrong in that it's transformational. I think right? It's transformational leadership. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Not, not, it's not transactional, transactional. It's collaborative. Collaborative. It's, yep. So the real word there is uh, is is we're not
2: we're not using people. Uh, right, we are working with people, and that's that. That's the great gift of collaborative leadership, and that's where you know that's that's one of the strategies women can uh, can use in order to to really um, to in, to increase kind of the. The, um, the building of the community that they're working with is, is bringing, it's what Heidi Roizen learned how to do. It's networking and bringing people to the table, not to use them, but to work together with them to really build that community of, of leadership so that it's shared. Yeah. And, and that becomes transformational. Exactly. That becomes transformational both for the person leading, the person leading with them, I mean, the people leading with them and the whole community, Right. Um, the whole community is really transformed if you when you build collaborative leadership into its DNA.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. The um, the w- one of the last questions I wanted to ask you is maybe not a completely fair one. I want to ask you what your favorite leaders are in the Bible. And I, it's kind of like asking who's your favorite kid, because I know, <laughs> yeah. you know, you love everyone in the Bible that's lovable. But um, yeah. <laughs> they uh, you one of the among the many things that are helpful about your book, you continue to bring it back to what are the biblical models that we see? So although you draw on science, you draw on studies, you're really guided by what, what, is, what is the scriptural model yeah. for godly leadership? And so can you point to some of those leaders in scripture that we can continue to reflect on as we think about our own transformational leadership?
2: I'm so grateful that you m- noticed that you know in every chapter I kind of pull it down to something in the in the Bible and, and most of them are women. I, I really wanted to highlight um, women who who were leading some some leading out front, some leading from behind. Um, you know Esther and Deborah and Mary and. Uh, uh, Priscilla, and oh my goodness, all of those women listed in, in Romans chapter 16, 15, whichever one it is. Um, but if you ask me, who my favorite is, it's
1: Paul. <laughs> It's Paul. All righty. Tell us about that. I like Paul too. So that's not a problem answer, but there are going to be some women who have just rewound the tape here a minute and said, wait, did she say Paul? (laughs) So tell us about that. I love Paul. Yeah, I I love Paul. I'm
2: an eight on the Enneagram. He's an eight. I have to believe he is. I like his courage and his confidence. I like his entrepreneurial spirit, and his evangelistic heart. I like his willingness to go with God wherever God goes, however rough the road is. There's an African song, I will go with Jesus any I must go with Jesus anywhere, anywhere, no matter how rough the road is. And I think Paul is that guy. He's my hero. He he, because Paul, first of all, was in, immediately willing to repent when he saw that his worldview was wrong. So there was a humility in there that we don't often acknowledge about Paul. And Paul is is mischaracterized as somehow being a, a, a he-man woman hater because you got to look at, at that Romans that there's a hall of women in Romans that he, he acknowledges these as co-workers in the faith. And so I hear myself when he's calling them out. I hear him calling me out too. But ultimately, what I love about Paul is for him, it was all about the kingdom of God. And ultimately, that's all any of this is about. It's not about me getting my chance and needing to be heard. It's not about me beating, beating the drum for women. Ultimately, this is a kingdom issue. I believe that when God has unleashed all who are called and gifted for leadership, the kingdom will be welcomed and advanced, and we will see it come in its fullness on earth. We, will, we are trying to become the answer of Jesus' own prayer. Thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I'm not in this to beat the drum for women. I'm in this to beat the drum for the kingdom. That's why I love Paul and anybody else in the scripture and anybody else in the world and any other woman who is willing and man who is willing to do the creative, innovative, uh, fierce, loving, exciting, strong, honest, willing thing. I I am for that person if they are excited about seeing the kingdom come
1: and willing to put themselves out there for that cause. Amen. I can just say amen. And Serene's clapping in the background and, and we're just yelling, preach it. I love it, <laughs> Carol. And that, that is great. And your new book, When Women Lead, should be on every pastor's shelf. And for every woman from high school on up who is wondering, where do I fit? Lord, what do you have for me? This, this is a book that just incredibly encourages. It also equips. And uh, like you say, and until the Lord comes, we're building the kingdom, we wanna do it well. And you've really helped equip us to do that. But thanks so much for coming on the Alabaster Jar. This has been a wonderful conversation.
2: Thank you. Such a pleasure. Such a pleasure. You ask great questions, and just thank you for letting me whip myself into a frenzy. <laughs>
1: I get excited. Well, I can see why you're a church planter and a good planter, and a, uh planting a church that's been around now almost yeah. two decades, because uh, you got you got the kingdom front and center, and that thank that you. is wonderful.
0: You've been listening to an episode of the Alabaster Jar Podcast. We upload conversations like this one every Tuesday, so if you enjoyed today's conversation with Carolyn Moore, be sure to subscribe and share our podcast with someone you think would enjoy it. In today's episode description, we have included a link to Carolyn's website, artofholiness.com, where you can find all of her podcasts, blogs, and sign up for her mailing list to be notified when her newest book, When Women Lead from Zondervan is made available for advanced sale. We'll see you back here next week for the Alabaster Jar podcast.